morning. Welcome to First Church of Christ here in Grayson. My name is Ben James. I'm the pastor. We are glad that you are joining us online this Sunday morning. A couple things that I want to take care of before we get into our message this morning. As we normally do at this time, I want to encourage you to continue to be faithful in your giving to the church. Uh, the, you will see the URL and the physical address uh, below on the screen. If you want to give online, you can do so at fccgrayson.com backslash give. If you would prefer to mail in your tithes and offerings, you can send that to 287 Pomeroy Street in Grayson, Kentucky, 41143. Uh, we appreciate so very much. I know that I sound like a broken record saying that each and every week, but I truly do appreciate, and I'll speak on behalf of the elders and church leaders here. We uh, are, are so grateful for your continued faithfulness and your giving to the kingdom of God uh, at, through this time of uncertainty uh, for you and your family, most likely. Secondly, um, many of you have asked, and we have been kind of eyeing this as it comes up on us, but we are making plans to return to in-person services here soon. Our plan as of now, which uh, as we have learned through this whole situation, things can change from day to day, and oftentimes they do, but our plan as of now is to return to service the first Sunday in the month of June. That would be June 7th. We will have a couple different services. Things will most definitely look different than what you're used to them looking here at church, as is with everything else in our lives, it seems. So that's the target date for us right now. What I would like to ask you to do is, if you would go to the website that's listed on your screen, fccgrayson.com backslash return dash to dash service. That's why I typed it out there instead of trying to say it all the time. But this has a few questions that will help us in planning and preparing and getting everything ready for that particular Sunday. So if you would, please visit that website and fill out that form. That's also got uh, details as far as our return to service plans that have been submitted to both local and state officials and government offices for their review of that as well. Uh, if you don't have really the capability to fill that out online, just get in contact with the office, uh, either through our email address, firstchurchgrayson at gmail.com, or you can call the church office and you can let us know and we can get that to you via mail. The church office phone number is 606-474-5464. Uh, we are eagerly anticipating being able to return to in-person services, but we want to make sure that we're doing it safely, we're doing it with wisdom, and we're doing it at the most prudent time that we can. So again, that target date, that tentative date, is June 7th, 2020, for us to return to service. Now this morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Peter. And we're going to take a little bit bigger of a leap this week than what we have in weeks past. And we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to look at a passage out of that. Now, I'm going to open up by saying this, that since really the beginning of mankind, from the moment that mankind began, it seems that mankind started looking 
toward the end of time. Uh, cultures all throughout history, different cultures, different faiths, different belief systems, different ethnicities, all of these different people groups have had a lean towards looking at the end of the world and either wondering, being curious, or worrying about what the end times might look like. And every generation, every generation has been convinced that they would see the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're kind of bringing it down into our demographic of Christianity as our faith, every generation since the New Testament began, since Jesus ascended into heaven, every generation has believed that they were going to be the generation that would see the return of Jesus Christ. Now, before we begin, we begin to kind of scoff at the absurdity of the end times conversation and some of the things that we've been exposed to in our lifetimes in regards to uh, the apocalypse, the end times, and things like that, let's understand that this has been happening. People have believed they were going to see the return of Jesus Christ from the moment that he ascended back into heaven. If we look at the books of, book of Acts, chapter 1, and verses 9 through 11, we see that the disciples who had just seen Jesus ascend back into heaven, they were told to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. They were to wait for this return. And it said that they were literally standing there, staring up into the skies. An angel appeared, and basically the conversation went, what are, what are you guys doing? And they were like, well, we, he told us to wait. We're waiting. And they was like, no, go into Jerusalem. Do something. There, there's got to be some activity here. So from the very beginning, from the moment that Jesus left, people have been looking for his return. Now, the reason that many of our uh, maybe radio frequencies kind of get tuned out a little bit whenever there's a, an end time or a prediction or you know the, the apocalypse is typically because of things that we've seen in the media, some questionable characters that we've seen who's made predictions as to the date, the time, the hour, when Jesus is going to return, when the world was going to end. We've seen almost worldwide panics uh, take place at when ancient civilizations' calendars end, and we thought that that was going to be the end of time. So there's almost a little bit of flippancy that we have towards the end days and the end of time. And it's because of really people trying to act and, and, and project that they understand it and they know about it, when really in the book of, you know, when, whenever Jesus says in Matthew 24, he says, no man nor angels know the time and the date. So, you know, let's understand something here that the end of time, Jesus's return is something that is very real. And it's not something that we need to scoff at, that we need to take lightly. And when you hear generations, when you hear people now talking about they're convinced that we're going to be the generation that sees the return of Jesus Christ, there is a chance that that happens. There is a chance, and, and it was as credible back three generations ago as it is now. And it's even as credible in the early church for people to think that, because let's take a look at our text today and see how Peter kind of introduces this. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to start by reading verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. 
as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me, if you will, this morning. God, I thank you so much for this time again this week. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to open up your word, to read from your word, and to learn from your word. I pray that you would uh, do your work in our hearts and our lives this morning that you want to do through your word, whether that's to challenge us, to convict us, to comfort us, to encourage us. God, whatever you want done in our hearts, I pray, is what this word is, what the result is. God, I pray that you remove as much of me as possible at this point. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you speak through me. Please remove my opinions, my thoughts, my fallible tendencies in, in, in mind and thinking and replace them with your word as, as my prayer is that I divide the word of God rightly, accurately, and correctly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as we're introduced to this passage this morning, Peter starts in verse 7 in this section, which if your Bibles are kind of titled and broken into sections, it's going to be something similar to serving for God's glory. As he begins this section, he says, but the end of all things is at hand. So here's Peter talking about this not too long after Jesus Christ had ascended into heaven. We're not talking about very long at all from the point that Jesus was actually here walking on earth to this point where Peter's making this statement where he's saying, but the end of all things is at hand. So again, it's a little over 2,000 years later roughly, and, and it kind of can get easy for us um, to kind of scoff and, and, and take a not so serious uh, view of the end of all things is at hand. But let's just be quickly reminded that our concept of time, our definition of time doesn't always match. Actually, very rarely does it match God's time frame and his concept of time. Because we have to remember that Scripture tells us that to him a thousand years is as to a day, and a day is as to a thousand years. So when we begin to look at this, we need to understand that there's a balance that we have to find. Because... One of the reasons that some people scoff is because the other people who are on maybe the other extreme of the end times thing, thinking that everything is a sign or that every day is going to be the last day, uh, if we're on the other extreme of that, then it's really difficult for us to be able to sometimes find a balance because we either seem to just brush that type of thinking off or we uh, kind of embrace this all is lost type mentality. And I think that there's a balance that we have to find. And actually, I've, I found a quote by uh, Sidney J. Harris. Now, he is, he's far from a theologian or uh, someone who is grounded, his life was grounded in Scripture, but I think he encapsulates this balance that we need to find with this quote, where, where he says, The art of living successfully consists of being able to hold two opposite ideas in tension at the same time. First, to make long-term plans as if we were going to live forever. And second, 
to conduct ourselves daily as if we were going to die tomorrow. Now, just as soon as we see Peter make this statement, but the end of all things is at hand, he quickly transitions into giving us some, some ideas as to and some instruction as to how we are supposed to live day in, day out with this mindset that the end is at hand. And the first thing he says is the first part of, or the second part of verse 7, where he says that, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. So he's attaching it here. Be, but the end of all things is at hand. The connection is there, the therefore. So with that being the case, here's what we need to do. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. Guys, your prayer life is not something that's an optional piece to your Christianity. It's not something that's just there as a nice sidebar in your walk with God and your relationship with Him. Daily, consistent, fervent prayer is a basic foundation and a building piece of a solid relationship with God. That communication with Him is critical if we're going to live successfully, whether we think that we're dying today or going to live forever, prayer and communication in our relationship with God is absolutely critical. Peter says, be serious. And the Greek word can be also be translated stable or sensible. Now, in light of this, let's take a, lot, take a look at this serious or stable or sensible. Let's take a look at the, in the light of the end times statement that Peter just made here. In the end times, even talk of that can cause confusion, chaos. And even in this moment, Peter says that to really glorify God, even in chaos, even in confusion, that we don't need to be impulsive. We don't need to be swayed by every wind that comes. We don't need to be controlled by our emotions that are all over the place in times of chaos and uncertainty. But we need to pray with our focus on Him. We need to make sure that we're serious, we're stable, and we're thinking clearly. And if we've seen nothing else through this global pandemic is the amount, an unprecedented amount of chaos and confusion and absolute emotions running the, the whole gamut that we could possibly run. But the one thing that we need to make sure of is amid, in the midst of all the chaos, all the confusion, all the uncertainty, is that we rely and we focus on the one who is not an author of confusion but clarity, the one that is not any in chaos, but is a God of order, and the one who is certain in uncertain times, and that's him. And we do that in one way, by praying. Now, he next goes from this being serious in prayer, and he tells us that we need to be watchful. So he says, be serious and watchful in your prayers. So we've got serious in our prayers. Now he's telling us to be watchful in our prayers. And I think that we need to understand the history of Peter just a little bit to appreciate what he means by this statement of being watchful. I think that if Peter, if anyone, 
knows and appreciates the importance and the value of remaining watchful in our relationship and our prayer life with Jesus Christ. Because it wasn't too long before him writing this letter that Peter was one of them that Jesus took to pray with him. And he said to keep watch with him in the Garden of Gethsemane and pray fervently while he went deeper into the Garden to pray. And every time that he would come back out, he found the three disciples, Peter being one, had fallen asleep. And as a result of this, of him not being watchful, of him not being fervent in his prayer time, he found himself falling into temptation and sin later, just a few hours later, when he denied Christ three times. So we need to make sure that we're being serious in our prayers and that we're being watchful in our prayers, especially during times that where it feels like the end is near. I'm not going to make the proclamation that this is the end of time because I don't know. But the one thing I do know, Chaos, confusion, uncertainty, trials, circumstances and situations beyond our control. That is the world that we are currently living in right now. And this world needs us to be serious and watchful in our prayers with God. And our brothers and sisters need us to do that. And you need that for you in your relationship with God as well. Secondly, in verses 8 and 9, I think Peter charges us that we need to glorify God in love. Verses 8 and 9 says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, we covered fervent love and the love of others a couple weeks ago, but just for a moment, I want to talk to you about love and this fervent love in the light of the end times. Let's look at how Peter frames it here in this statement. He says that love covers a multitude of sins. He tells us to be hospitable, and he tells us to do so without grumbling. Now, the word fervent here means to literally stretch or strain. And I'm not talking about just trying to stretch a little bit across the dinner table to get the butter for the bread. This is an indication of an athlete not only training their body to compete, but also the stretching and the straining that they go through every day to get their muscles ready and then to build those muscles. So what he's doing is he's telling us that this love that Peter's describing here isn't the warm and fuzzy type of love that we often think about and where our mind initially goes. He's speaking to the love that is an action, that is a voluntary action of love, not a reaction to something that's happening to you. You see, this is the kind of love that is removed of emotion, is removed of the way that our our emotions are telling us, the, the turmoil that is our feelings. This is us saying that regardless of whatever's going on around me, regardless of what you do to me or do to my family, I am going to fervently love you the way that Jesus Christ loves you. And church, if there's anything that's needed, and I'll, I'll say this, it's needed in the world, but it's needed in the body of Christ right now because there are so many Christians that are cannibalizing each other. The bride of Christ especially on social media is cannibalizing each other and arguing and putting off a horrible witness during these uncertain times when people are looking for a source of hope. Many times they're seeing Christians cut each other's throats, stab each other in back and cannibalize. And if you're doing that, then I don't know how else to say it other than stop doing it. Just stop it because we are to fervently love one another. 
When he makes this statement of love covering a multitude of sin, it doesn't mean that love condones sin. Now, Scripture tells us that love confronts sin. So this is not a statement of, oh, well, we're just going to take your sin, we're going to brush it under the rug, or we're going to act like it doesn't exist, or we're going to act like it's not really that big of a deal. That's not what he's saying at all. True love, biblical love, will always confront sin. That's one of the things that biblical love does. But we're also told that biblical love does a couple other things. And 1 Corinthians 13, 7 tells us that biblical love always protects it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. So the instruction here is, as we are fervently loving one another, and it's covering a multitude of sins, whenever your love is confronting sin, you need to make sure that it's not only confronting sin, but it's also protecting, it's also trusting, it's also providing hope, and it's also persevering. You see, it goes far beyond just calling out someone's wrongs or someone's dysfunctions or someone's stumblings or failures. You see, love does confront sin, but it's never void of protecting, trusting, hoping, and persevering while it is confronting sin. So if you're loving in any other way, that's if it's not protecting, if it's not trusting, if it's not hoping, if it's not persevering, then my friends, it's not biblical love. You may be saying it loving in the name of Jesus, but if it's void of those things, it is not the love of Jesus. Now, I understand that that is an extremely difficult, maybe even an impossible balance to achieve. I get that. Trust me. I get it. And I wish that I could tell you this 7 to 12 step program or these things that you could do to get you onto this that, hey, if you check every one of these things off the box, then you're going to definitely be loving in biblical love. I, I, I can't do that. But what I can do is I can give you this advice. Study Jesus in the Gospels. Study the way that Jesus loved his followers. His followers that were sinful men and women. His followers who were wretched to the core. His followers that were fallible, that were flawed, that stumbled, that fell all the time. Look and study the way that Jesus Christ confronted their sins but remained true to loving as a Savior loves with protection, with trust, with hope, and with perseverance. Study the love of Jesus Christ towards his, his followers in the Gospels. And I love this, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here because this is a soapbox I could really get on and kind of already did. Um, but he says, make sure that we are being hospitable to one another without grumbling. Uh, this means helping people. This means being gracious to people and merciful to people and showing hospitality to people, even sometimes maybe when you don't want to, and especially when you don't think that they deserve it, because that is when we have the most difficult time of helping our brothers and sisters, helping our fellow men and women that we live with, that we work with, that we walk this life with, that we live in the same, same neighborhoods as, without grumbling. Do so as you're doing it unto the Lord. Thirdly, this morning, I believe that we, we should glorify God through our service. In verses 10 and 11, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, 
Let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In verse 11, Paul talks about gifts that we have as believers in two different areas. That's not an exhaustive list, but this is the framing of the context of the Scripture in which Peter's talking about it here. First, he talks about the gift of speaking, of preaching, teaching, etc. But then he talks about a gift of serving, which he talks about doing good deeds, which would include helping, which would include extending mercy, giving, administration, etc. So in our service should be love. The love that we were just talking about, as we serve, we should always do so in love. And another element that has to be there according to this passage of Scripture, our service should always be for the glory of God. The service, the way that we serve, whether in speaking or whether in serving, the giftings that we show forth, regardless of what they are, how, how big, how little, how grand, how small, should always glorify God. They should always point back to Him. And we need to do everything that we do, everything that we do, not just spiritual things that we do, but everything that we do, we should do it humbly, with a constant recognition that it is God who is empowering us to do the things that we do, to serve the way that we are serving. And as Peter puts it in verse 11, that it is through Jesus Christ, which belongs all the glory and dominion forever. So wrapping up this morning, regardless of how you react to the end is near or the end is at hand, type statements. Understand that that statement is always going to be an accurate statement because the possibility of the end being at hand is very real. If it was real during this time of Peter's letter, then it's just as real for us today, if not more so. And we need to make sure we can't control when the end comes. We can't control what it's going to be like. But the things that we can control are what Peter builds on in this passage. Is that number one, we are glorifying God in our prayer. We're glorifying God in the way that we love. And we're glorifying God in the way that we serve. Now this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, and you would like to give your heart to Him, you would like to respond to that tug, that call that you're feeling on, on your heart, I would encourage you, I would implore you, I would beg you, respond to this website that you see on the screen. It's our prayer request page. That will get directly to me and other staff members, and I promise you at our earliest, earliest opportunity, as soon as we possibly can, we will get back to you. Make that decision today. Give your heart, give your life to Jesus Christ. If you're already a follower of His, is your life glorifying Him in these times, whether it's the end or not? Is it glorifying Him in your prayer life, in the way that you love, and by the way that you serve Him? Pray with me again. Father, thank You for this Word. God, I, I, I thank You for the challenge that it provides my heart, that, that it, um, it, it really convicts me to, to glorify You better in my prayer, to love others with Your love better than what I'm doing now and to serve you, and to do things for you far more for your glory and far less for my glory.
than what I'm doing now. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.